Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of the Tech London podcast. I hope you go back and listen to Sean's episode, which was just before this, about mobility and 5G and green energy and everything like that. Um, and that's continuing the the thread. Um, we're going to deviate a little bit from the advertised 5G smart cities thing because I've been dying to get my friend Colin on here to talk about how to decrapify work, which is a, an amazing newsletter that he... When, when did it... When, do, do you want to say who you are? What are you known for, Colin? And what would you like to be known for before I misintroduce you? <laughs> yeah, hi everybody. Uh, so I'm Colin Newlin. Um, I'm sort of known for decrapify work now, and uh, it's a bit of a mission to um, take the crap out of work, really. So uh, I do have a background in tech. Actually, I started off um, on this funny thing called email many, many years ago when the world of work was very different, um, and we didn't have computers and stuff. And I think. Since then, it's got steadily worse, and it's about time we reversed that uh, that direction of travel. Am, am I right? Uh, you, you were one of the first 50,000 people in the UK with an email address, is that right? Uh, well, something like that, yeah. I, yeah. I've been on email since um, the mid-'80s, so. Oh, my God. There was... Um... I, I was my claim to fame is I was definitely in the first hundred thousand people to use uh, Trello. So you know, I don't know if that makes me. <laughs> I, I don't know if I crossed the chasm, chasm, or whatever it is. So, um, like, there's there's your newsletter, which I, as you, as you know, I, I I love reading and um, I love the reference of it, and I think it's become even more pertinent through uh, through lockdown. And I kind of kind of want to usually I turn out with something of an agenda here, but um, it, it's just to tease out how. Uh, like we're, you know, we're starting a company, we've started a company and we find ourselves, this might be a therapy session, ladies and gentlemen, we find, Dr. Colin, we find ourselves in busy, busy times reverting to what I call Jack Welch thinking. And we, we get all Neanderthal and alpha male about how we're doing things. And then when, when it's, when we got a calm day, we go all kind of like Brenny Brown and um, are nice to each other, but it, it's so easy to sort of sleepwalk into, uh, you know, have it creating a shitty work atmosphere um and if there weren't a few people in our organization who say like whoa that's not what we, that's not what we said we do um we we just end up being a shithole so so how, how do we stop doing that well uh, i mean i think so first of all i think we have to recognize that we have this sort of idea about what work is that's been ingrained into us for a long time and um you know, this idea on work's got to be hard, isn't it? And it's, you know, it, it's got to be serious. Um, and it, it's all about, you know, the hierarchy and command and control and someone has a plan um, and we follow the plan and, and you know, it's, it's all got to be nailed down. Um, and and it's, it's nonsense, really. But it's, it's a very pervasive thought. So when you get, you know, when you get into times of stress, you just revert to the things that, that come to your mind most easily. And and this idea of what work is and what, what how an organisation work, should work, which is this sort of, you know, it's basically the factory model. I mean, offices are just desk factories, really. This idea of a production line and, you know, people just do as they're told, you know, that's that's what comes to, our, to the forefront of our mind. And so we, we're working out of this paradigm that, that really doesn't work anymore because we don't work on a production line we're, we're knowledge workers we're creating stuff we're you know we're using our our minds we're dealing with lots of unpredictability and variability um and we don't always know what's going to happen and that's actually part of the fun of it isn't it 
It is. I, I, I like you know as our as as Sam the pirate says. You know that that latest project about uncertainty. Yes, I haven't been yep. to any of the sessions, but I've been I've been following that. Um, and even just like reading the emails about coping, embracing, working with uncertainty has been has been. I don't know. It's just I, I'm going to say rewarding. If that doesn't sound too cheesy, because we we realize that you know when, when we have our team chats that no one knows what's going to happen and i think you know the whole the whole covid situation was a was a big you know lesson in how to be uncertain well, and so, so well, it, it sort of shook us out of the complacencies which I, I think i mean a lot of people so i mean i say i worked having worked in tech um, with working on new, new new products and services in new technology areas and new markets. I mean, right from the beginning, we, we were all just making up as we went along because there was nothing to follow. So that's a mindset that <clears throat> sort of came naturally to me. But for most people, work has this sort of uh, false certainty around it, um, you know, because why else would you do a five-year plan? If you didn't believe the world was stable and certain, and you could predict what was going to what was going to happen, um, which is nonsense, of course. But in that sort of period between, probably between the um, well, between from the end of the Second World War up to the mid eighties, nineties, possibly, um, it, well, the world was quite certain, and you could do a five year plan, and you probably wouldn't be like million miles away from it, you know. Um, whereas, whereas today the world changes, you know, so rapidly, um, but people are still clinging to that mindset. And if you look at the way people approach businesses, it's all about trying to make things certain. Um, and COVID came along and threw all that out the window. Uh, and the managers had to trust the people, um, who worked for them to sort it out and much to their surprise, the people rose to the task magnificently and managed to, you know, figure out how to work from home, learn all these new skills, keep businesses going, um, and really show, you know, the, the value they had when they had when they were given the autonomy and the opportunity uh, to use it. That that was one of the things I wanted to jump on there because there's a we'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, Anthony Slumbers thread, which is uh, the whole. Let's get back to the office thing, um, <laughs> yep. which, are, which, you know, I can't wait to meet someone in real life to, you know, I'm not sure if you're legally allowed to say injure them when they're raving about getting back to the office, because there was, you know, there's a lot of people you and I know who said something, some shape or form of like, you know, COVID has accelerated the future of work by a decade. And, and I know friends, that, you know, in, in, in mm. our age bracket who are, you know, good parents and nice human beings, but they were appalled that they couldn't see their employees um, and check up on them and all this kind of thing. They were like, you know, the only reason I want people to come back into the office is so I can watch over them like someone in an Oliver Twist episode. Um, and what, what, what do you think happened to that, like command and control establishment type thing? Well, I mean... In more sort of progressive organisations, um, there wasn't that approach really. Um, so, I mean, again, you know, a lot of a lot of the sort of soft big software companies and that were able to move to working from home 
relatively easily because they were largely working in a fairly um, open way anyway. But um, but for a lot of more conventional companies, it was all built around the office and it's all built around you know people being seen and appearing to work and being busy and there wasn't um, that's, that's how people thought they had to manage. You had to sort of see your people and check up on them all the time. Um, and, and it was very hard for them to sort of get away from that. Um, and we don't always realize quite how ingrained these sort of paradigms and behaviors are. Um, so uh, when COVID happened, obviously people couldn't do that. Um, what we're seeing now is people trying to sort of reassert that and trying to drag people back to the office because um, that's what they're used to doing. The problem is the people that they're dragging back to the office have got used to figuring stuff out for themselves and ordering their lives the way they want it done. Uh, and they're rather reluctant to go back um, to what they see as being unnecessary. The, the um, uh, like you and I have been setting a load of things at Herman Miller around this is the, like a, a lot of the data shows that from, from I don't know, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people surveyed is that people don't want the office or home. They want to have autonomy and choice mm-hmm. about where to work. And uh, I, I was really refreshed in that because like, we were at, there was one event we were at and um, Bertie and Neil Usher said, you know, who's, who's gone back to the office and people, instead of everyone glazing over and say, Oh no, we all want to work from home. Some people said, I love going to the office. You know, I, I, I work in a, you know, I live in a, I share a house with like three other people in Clapham. And if I don't go to the office, I, I just end up wanting to kill my housemates. And, and they, they, they really enjoy that part of it, which is a really valid reason to do it. And, um, other people I know who are in particularly brainstorming creative things, there's an energy when you're around other people bouncing ideas off and chatting, um, which you, however hard you try, I don't, and however many iterations of Miro or Teams you use, you just cannot get that yeah, and online I think bounce. You've got to have the play. I mean, I used to, I used to work in office and I, and I loved it, but I was quite a, a, an early road warrior. So I had a laptop and a modem and, um, you know, I could work from home when I needed to. Uh, when I was away on a business trip, I would be able to work from in you know, a hotel room or or a cafe or whatever. Not not a cafe because I didn't have telephone lines, but certainly a hotel room. Um, and so that's you know th- that capability has been around a long time, and now we're seeing it become become the mainstream, and people see the benefits of. Um, that flexibility but but you still want to be with people you still want to have those you know relationships are still really really important and you can only build up yeah it's much easier to build up relationships face to face but but what we had before was like dragging everybody into an office five days a week um for i don't know probably two or three hours when you might actually be doing that stuff and the rest of the time you're just sitting at your desk doing something you could quite easily do somewhere else well, that, that, um, the, when, when COVID hit, so, so, you know, I, I work for myself and my wife works for a small organization called the NHS. And so, so our son could still go to school and she had to be at work between eight and six. And, you know, it was all hands on deck in the, where she worked and, 
so all the all the childcare fell to me. I mean, we we shared it anyways, you know. Mm. But um, like it, I had to take our son to school and bring him home, and and I'm really grateful for that because one, I could never have coped with homeschooling, um, like mentally with everything else that was going on. And if I didn't have to take him out, I would probably never left the house out of sheer like panic and fear and anxiety. So it 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 worked really really well. But then what ended up happening is that I had to organize myself to just get all my work done when he wasn't around or actually as cool as it sounds when both of them weren't around so now my work day is like nine till three and of course i still think about things in the morning and after afterwards but um i i wonder what i used to do with my time because you know like I, I get more done in that small time constraint than i did before yeah. and now we don't have to worry about that so much but i've kept that time constraint and i'm way more productive between nine and three than i used to be between like eight and six or whatever else i used to work so it, it's kind of you know snapped me into uh you know paying attention a little bit more i think i think that's the thing is that people you know the answer to to things going forward is we need to be more conscious and deliberate about what we do and in the past you've had this sort of like just unthinking you know turn up at the office uh, and what you find at the office is lots of people wasting time procrastinating wandering around you know doing busy work rather than being focused um doing performative stuff so they look like they're busy and doing important things but actually they're not really doing anything much um just looking to get promoted really um and we've got an opportunity now to really think about how we work, where we work, uh, when we work, and who we work with. Uh, and that's got to be beneficial to everybody. So, Colin, I also wanted to ask you about the relationship between um, horse manure and <laughs> and the future of work. Well, I don't know if you of, of course. I mean, you know, this is very appropriate for decrapify work. But um, so, so this is um, a. a, a post I put up on LinkedIn a while ago, which is really talking to this way that we get locked into, you know, the way things are now. We can't see beyond them. Um, and it was the great horse manure crisis of um, 1894, um, where there's an article, uh, allegedly an article in the Times warning that in 50 years, every street in London will be, will be buried under nine feet of manure. Um, and this was not a, a problem that was just felt in London, but in all the cities around the world, because horses were the only means of transport. Um, you know, as the as the cities grew and became denser, um, then it, it became more of a more of a problem that you know the output of the horses, i.e., the horseship, uh, had to be cleaned up and taken away somewhere, and there was more and more of it. And as there's more and more people and more and more trade, there were more and more horses. Uh, well, you can imagine what happened. Um, and there used to be a whole infrastructure in place to get rid of this stuff. So um, opposite King's Cross Station were these huge holding pens where they would collect all the manure and then they'd oh. put it on trains and send it up to um, off, off to the country to be spread on the fields. Um, but also because there are so many horses and because they were treated so badly, I think the average life for horses was about three years. Uh, and this is where you get the phrase flogging a dead horse from. Um, then there'd be all these horses that had to be disposed of. So behind King's Cross were all these knackers yards and stuff for getting rid of it all. And it was all very, very unpleasant, as you can imagine, <laughs> and not very sanitary. Um, and 
people, people could just couldn't see how we, how this problem was going to be solved because it was you know, just going to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and of course, what happened was uh, the mo- motor car came along um, and took over, and within a short space of time, there weren't any horses being used, and so you didn't have the problem of um, of horse manure. And, and now we look back at that and think, well, that was mad, wasn't it? I mean, you know, having all this horseshit carted around the place um, and, and the fact that the streets were so unsanitary with all the, the muck and also the dead horses, uh, which would often just be left, you know, to be cleared away eventually. Um, so there's a lot of disease because of it. Uh, and it's a bit like, I think that's where we are with the world of work, really. I mean, we you know, we look at, I always felt that, we were heading in this ridiculous direction with, you know, building bigger and bigger offices in the city centre and having more and more crowded railway links coming in. You know, I mean, my experience travelling, I live in you know, on the central line and in the 25 years I've been here, that journey has gone from being relatively pleasant because we're near the end of the line and I always get a seat to being um, a, a crowded, you know, cattle truck at, at virtually all times. Um, and you know we couldn't carry on in that direction and because of covid we've now realized we don't have to carry on in that direction you know we can we have the infrastructure in place already and it's only going to get better you know with um uh, things like you know 5g and uh, and what's being done with cities to uh, to make them more productive um so i think i think now people are looking back to how they lived before COVID and getting on that train every day and the way they were working and thinking, it's a load of crap, really. What, what, how on earth did we do that? Why did we do that? I, I, I think that too, because I, I you know, live in a similar part of town to you. And um, two, two things that always struck me is, so when I, and I think you came to this, I would here in Ilford, I would organize a networking event and I have to work really hard to get 70 people to show up. And this was about 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, it was flogging a dead horse. And then people from around, you know, Essex and East London and, you know, Enfield and stuff would come to the networking event. Um, and then when I posted a similar thing in Central, like in Houston, where we used to have the co-working space, um, you know, 70 people would book in a few days. And then of those 70 people, at least half of those people lived in my local area. I'd be like, why do you book here really quickly? And why do, you, why do I have to like ring you up and you know, beat you up to come to this? And, and there was this, there's this kind of allure of central London, which um, I th- you know, all, all cities have it, but um, most of the co-working spaces I've actually been a member of have been in central London, apart from you know, Main Yard in Hackney Wick. Mm. And then I was forced, you know, going back to what you say, we're in this like mindset. You know, I, I would like, one, there was, there wasn't anywhere in Ilford to, to go and, you know, co-work. Um, and this place has been here four years and I only discovered it a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, the standard of, kind of like the standard of workspace, co-working space is like absolutely diabolical in Redbridge. But and all the cool spaces are in town. But now my quality of life of like, you know, dropping my son at school, 10, 15 minute walk down here, you know, like I walk everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm richer, not because, you know, I'm earning like millions more, but I just don't spend money in prep and don't go on the tube and don't do all this. And I'm ever so slightly thinner. 
because I because I walk more. Um, and the quality of life is just, you know, it's micro changes, but it's huge. And I, I don't know if you, I think you do know the the Boot the Commute website by the Town Square people. It says something like, we people in the UK spend like a hundred and two hundred and fifty hours. Um, 250 hours commuting every year. And it's something like, it's the equivalent of watching Titanic, I know, a hundred times or something like that. It, 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 like, it is insane the amount of time we spend getting on a, yeah. getting on a train with the same laptop we have at home, taking it somewhere, opening it, and then putting it back in our bag and going, going back again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, but but it was you know when I started it was like well you just get on the train as long as it's I think as long as it as long as the journey was less than an hour it wasn't too bad if it was over an hour it really started to drag and that's what everybody did and if I've got a bit of a back problem at the moment which I'm pretty sure stems from lugging a laptop to and from work back in the days when laptops were really quite heavy <laughs> um, uh, and it's sort of like well, I don't really know why I did that but that was just the Sort of, a really a really heavy compact yeah, computer yeah it, that was the sort of default behavior and um a, a, and he, the contrast was my my brother lived in Chelmsford and he he had a very short journey to work and he thought I was mad um and I thought he was a bit mad cuz you know the opportunities weren't the same in Chelmsford but now you can get the best of both worlds so why wouldn't you want to do that i, I remember around liverpool street in the 90s there was just like thousands of people with nearly the same kind of black laptop bag yep and it, it was like a, it was a, it was kind of like the, 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 tar- the target laptop bag yeah like ev- everyone everyone looking the same anyway what um where can we find you online colin so you can find me um i post quite a lot of stuff on linkedin uh so it's colin newlin and my website for decrapify work is www.decrapifywork.com and um, do you, I don't suppose you do a newsletter we can sign up to, do you? Well, it's funny you should say that, Bernie, but I, I do do a newsletter, which you can either get to through my website or you can go to Substack and search for Decrapify Work uh, and I'm find sorry. it there. Substack is the new laptop bag, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone who's anyone has got a Substack newsletter. Um, right, really appreciate your time today. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like, go and sign up for Colin's newsletter. Colin's newsletter is is very entertaining i particularly like the um i mean nowadays i read it for the information but mainly what attracts me to it is the references to 80s pop songs and how you <laughs> how you manage to wangle wangle them in there um and then keep subscribing to the tech london podcast we are definitely looking pe- for people to uh be interviewed about 5g smart cities and how that affects the tech london community and as jonathan always says just after i'm saying this is jump into the tech london slack go to techlondon.io and become part of the community thanks very much for your time today be careful out there it is a jungle